Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to see all of you here this morning on what is the first Sunday in the month of June. How crazy is that? And our very first Sunday together in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Just one second. Bravo. Should we try this again? Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to see all you here this morning. On what is the first Sunday in the month of June? How crazy is that, church? And our very first Sunday together in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Or there will be no summer series this year, church, like we did last year when we worked our way through the book of Habakkuk. But instead, the plan this year is to just keep working our way week by week through the glorious gospel of Mark. And we will do so today by looking specifically this morning at verses 1 through 13, or at a section concerning that of hypocrisy, and the dangers of putting our man-made traditions above the very commandments of God. However, all of this comes on the heels of a pretty lengthy narrative that we finished up two weeks ago in Mark chapter 6, where very briefly, Jesus Christ decided to send out his twelve apostles two by two throughout the region of Galilee in order to preach to cast out demons, and to heal even that of the sick. And when they, Jesus' apostles, then finished up this mission or this season of ministry, they returned back to Jesus Christ and went with him to a desolate place in order to get some rest. However, when they arrived at this desolate place, a crowd of people, church, was already there waiting for them. Nevertheless, instead of getting mad at the crowd here, or upset at the crowd here, or angry at the crowd here, Jesus Christ, he had compassion on the crowd here, since, verse 34, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And actually, then, church began teaching the crowd here the very word of God. However, Jesus Christ, he not only cared for the spiritual needs of these people, but he also then cared for their physical needs as well, and that he eventually then on that very same day, church, took five loaves of bread and that of two fish and multiplied them to the point that the some 5,000 men who were in attendance on that day, verse 42, all ate and were satisfied. However, the story here, church, it does not end there. 
Because after all this took place, Jesus Christ sent his apostles away on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But when he saw them later that night, struggling against the wind and the waves and the sea, Jesus Christ quite simply then walked to them to their boat right on top of the sea and in essence declared to them in verse 50 that he was truly God. However, due to the apostles' hardness of heart here, They still did not understand at this time, church, or completely grasp at this time, church, who exactly this Jesus Christ truly was. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then, who at this point in the Gospel of Mark has already healed many people, casted out many demons, cleansed a leper, walked on water, fed the 5,000, and even calmed that of the storm, he, Jesus Christ then, takes his apostles to the shores of Gennesaret, and begins once again to heal the sick. All as a way, church, to not only care for the needs of the people here, but also as a way to patiently again display to his apostles that he is truly God. However, as we transition out of chapter 6 this morning, church, and into chapter 7, we will once again be reintroduced, if you will, to that of the hard-hearted and hard-headed antagonist of Jesus Christ, that being the scribes and the Pharisees. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, worship the Lord with all of your heart, and display your love for him by keeping his commandments. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Christian, worship the Lord with all of your heart and display your love for him by keeping his commandments. I said this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And if you are joining us today, and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you. However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take one and keep one, is that you read it, starting today by turning your brand new Bible to page 842, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 7 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically today at verses 1 through 13, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, 
but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come into your presence this morning, corporately, together as one church body on the Lord's day, Father, let us worship you all this morning with all our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Father, take away any distractions from our minds this morning. Take away anything that may be pulling our hearts away from you. Father, let us this morning give you all of us, all of our heart, our attention, and our praise. Father, I pray that you open up the eyes this morning and the ears this morning and soften the hearts of these dear ones here this morning, this wonderful congregation, your flock that you have purchased with your son's blood. Soften their hearts to the point this morning that they can see and hear and receive the beauty of your word. Father, that we don't play the role of the Pharisee that we don't seek to reject your commandments, but as the children of God, we love to keep your commandments. Father, I pray that you send your spirit this morning as well to help my lisping and stammering tongue to communicate well to each one of these individuals here the beauty and the power of the word that you have given us, a word that is perfect and infallible and inerrant and sufficient for every means of our lives. Father, do a wonderful work here this morning, I pray. And Father, I ask that the offering, the sacrifice that we make to you this morning, Lord, that it is God-pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, do not play the role of the Pharisee and seek to honor God only with your lips. Do not play the role of the Pharisee and seek to honor God only with your lips. Verses 1 through 8, which read, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So just as we saw all the way back in Mark chapter 3, church, when the scribes came down from Jerusalem, saying in essence that Jesus Christ was possessed by Satan and that he was casting out demons by the power of Satan, so too do we see here in verse 1, and as Matthew chapter 15 clarifies, that another contingent of Pharisees and scribes have come from Jerusalem and have gathered at this time around Jesus Christ. And keep in mind here, church, for the religious leaders who we are talking about here, that being the scribes and the Pharisees, for they have traveled at this time approximately 90 miles in order to reach that of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they're not just gathering around Jesus Christ here in order to say hi to Jesus Christ here, or to just hang out with Jesus Christ here, or to simply ask Jesus Christ here how exactly he walked on water, calmed the storm, and fed that of the 5,000. But instead, the religious leaders who are mentioned here, they are coming to Jesus Christ in order to question, interrogate, and to scrutinize Jesus Christ with the ultimate goal being remember, church, Mark chapter 3, verse 6, to destroy that of Jesus Christ. And what these aforementioned religious leaders find here, if you will, on this particular occasion, church, was that some of Jesus' disciples, verse 2, were actually eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Which does not mean, church, that the religious leaders here were upset over the fact that Jesus' disciples were not practicing good hygiene here, or not washing their hands long enough here, or using the right kind of soap or hand sanitizer here, but instead the religious leaders were upset here because Jesus' disciples were not maintaining ritual purity by practicing ceremonial hand washing here. And if you have no idea what exactly that means, church, well, then John Mark, he has got you covered. Because as he goes on to explain in verses 3 and 4, that the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So long story short, in Exodus chapter 30 and in Exodus chapter 40, it was commanded that the priest of the day would take part in a ceremonial washing before they would go into the tabernacle. But as one commentator points out, that did not mean that it was required for other Jews to have to wash their hands in a particular way as well before eating. 
However, the Pharisees, they insisted that the Jewish people should perform specific ceremonial washings before they ate, but not because it was biblically commanded, but instead because it was part of the rabbinic traditions. So in essence, the religious leaders of the day church, they were taking the tradition of the elders, which in essence were these man-made legalistic laws and commands, and then were saying that if anyone did not keep or honor or willingly follow each and every one of these laws and commands, say about the washing of hands or about washing after you got back from the marketplace or even about washing of cups and of pots, then they were not then, verse 5, walking according to the tradition of the elders, but were instead defiled, unclean, unholy, and impure. And thus when the Pharisees and the scribes then asked Jesus Christ, for why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Jesus Christ, he then says to them in verses 6 and 7, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus Christ, he certainly pulls no punches in his response to the religious leaders here, does he? As he quotes from Isaiah 29 here, but not before initially calling these religious leaders that of hypocrites or that of play actors, pretenders, and impostors who honor God with their lips and to talk the talk, all while, verse 6, their hearts remain far from God, so much so that they worship God in vain and literally teach as doctrines, verse 7, the commandments of men, to the point that they actually leave then the commandments of God and instead, verse 8, hold to the tradition of men. And thus, although these scribes and these Pharisees, church, look religious and sound religious and talk the talk and honor God with their lips, the reality is that they are nothing more than hypocrites who, when push comes to shove, would much rather hold to their own made, man-made, legalistic laws and commandments than that of the very commandments of God, which is a practice, church, make no mistake about it, that is just as dangerous today as it was even back then. For as the 19th century American theologian Albert Barnes once shared, for just as one secret enemy in a camp can do more harm than 50 men who are known foes, so too can a single unholy and faithless member of a church do more harm than many who are steadfastly opposed to religion. For it is not only by infidels and scoffers and blasphemers that injury is done to the cause of Christianity, but additionally it is also by the unholy lives of its professed friends and their desire to thrust worldliness and inconsistency and that of legalism onto those who make up the church as well. And thus we must be so, so careful, Christian, that we do not play the role of the Pharisee here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, 
Whereas we love to publicly denounce the sin of others only to then go home and privately love the sin of pornography. Or to openly tell everyone how important the Word of God is only to then never open up our Bibles. Or even to passionately affirm each and every week that we are all one body in Jesus Christ and united with Jesus Christ and are to love one another like Jesus Christ only to then be impatient with one another another, or unkind toward one another, nasty toward one another, or downright resentful toward one another, simply because we did not get our own way. Because to do any of that, church, make no mistake about it, is to walk in the way of the Pharisee. And thus, let this text be a sobering warning to us all, church, to avoid being the Pharisee here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, who says one thing and who does another or who loves their preferences more than the ways of God, or who simply weighs others down with their own legalistic laws and traditions and demands because mere lip service to God, vain worship of God, and holding fast to the traditions of man instead of the very commandments of God will not save anyone, church, from the eternal condemnation of God since that type of religion is absolutely worthless before God. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. The true children of God do not seek to find ways to avoid the commandments of God, but instead they love to keep them. The true children of God do not seek to find ways to avoid the commandments of God, but instead, they love to keep them. Verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must shortly die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So after Jesus Christ calls out the religious leaders of the day for being hypocrites, and for being willing to leave the commandments of God and hold fast to the traditions of men, Jesus Christ, he additionally then goes on to point out that they, the religious leaders here also, verse 9, have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish their own tradition. And in order to prove that, Jesus Christ then, he backs up that claim by giving to them the religious leaders a specific example of this starting in verse 10 by saying, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now the honor your father and mother here, church, is obviously one of the Ten Commandments which comes to us from Exodus chapter 20, whereas the whoever reviles their father and mother here must surely die. That comes to us, church, from Exodus 21 and is in essence the punishment if someone does the very opposite of honoring their father and their mother. 
However, the scribes and the Pharisees who reject the very commandments of God in order to establish their own tradition, they say instead, verses 11 and 12, that if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. And what Jesus Christ is getting at here, church, as R.C. Sproul explained, was that a tradition was created whereby a person could actually promise to give all of their wealth to the work of the Lord once they die. And thus, in the name of piety, a person could then escape the responsibility of supporting their parents simply by saying that their wealth was now Corbin, or that everything they have has been committed to the Lord. However, strangely enough, the regulations for Corbin also allowed that same person to still use their wealth for themselves during their lifetimes. They just couldn't spend it on anyone else. So in short, this was a man-made tradition church that allowed an individual to not honor their father and mother, or provide for their father and mother, or support their father and mother, all while still being able to keep and to use their personal resources and wealth, as long as they declared that their wealth was Corbin and would eventually be given to God when they die. Thus, verse 13, making void the word of God, or nullifying the word of God, invalidating the word of God, and ultimately then rejecting the word of God with their traditions, which is the absolute opposite, church, of what the true children of God desire to do with the commandments of God, since the true children of God love to keep that of the commandments of God. Pastor and academic Ligon Duncan, he shared that Henry Schaefer was a Nobel Prize-nominated Christian and who grew up in a nominally Christian home or in a Christian home by name only, all while attending a mainline Presbyterian church. And that one day in the midst of a discussion with his father about a certain Christian ethic, Schaefer said to his father, but look, Dad, the Bible says this about this particular ethic. To which his father responded back to him by saying, look, I know what the Bible says, but it's wrong. Schaefer said that at that moment, he decided then that Christianity must be bunk or nonsense. Because his dad, who claimed to be a Christian, rejected the very teaching and commands of the Bible. Now, God, in his mercy, did a work of grace in Schaefer's heart and brought him to saving faith in Jesus Christ later on. And thus, when Schaefer did come to faith, he realized that it wasn't Christianity that was bunk, but that it was instead his father's profession of faith that was bunk. Because, you see, if you believe and love the living God, you will naturally then believe in his word, Trust in his word, acknowledge his word as the final authority in your life, and desire to keep his commandments even when they are hard to obey. For Jesus Christ himself said, church, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not manipulate 
my commandments, not water down my commandments, not deconstruct my commandments, reconstruct my commandments, or flat out reject my commandments, but instead our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and thus to truly love God, church, is not just to give lip service to God, but it is instead to willingly and joyfully and unapologetically keep the commandments of God, since the command commandments of God are not burdensome, church, but instead they are the very will of God for our lives. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first. Because non-Christian, although the commandments of God are lovely and perfect and good, the truth is we as fallen sinners cannot and do not keep them all perfectly. And the cost of our disobedience, non-Christian, or the wage of our sin, non-Christian, it is that of death. And thus it is because of that that God the Father then sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to save us from our sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that for us, non-Christian, by initially living for us the life that we could never live, and that the law of God and the precepts of God and the ways of God and the very commandments of God that we as sinners break over and over again each and every day, Jesus Jesus Christ, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth, whereby he perfectly and completely then obeyed the law of God in its entirety for the very children of God. However, non-Christian, that is not all that the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished here on earth while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then, non-Christian, willingly gave himself up on a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And in doing so, non-Christian, he appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And in order to prove that that was the case, Jesus Christ then, the sinless Son of God who was crucified, died and buried three days later he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, so far this morning I have warned you all to not walk in the ways of the Pharisees 
since that type of walk is most certainly not pleasing to God. And I have additionally encouraged you all this morning, church, as the very children of God, to not reject the commandments of God, but to instead keep the commandments of God, since that is the very will of God for our lives. However, as we close this morning, what I want to focus on now is our worship of God. Or in particular, I want us to consider this morning, what is the attitude of our hearts as we worship corporately together the one true and living God? Because as we saw from our text today in verse 6, simply because someone honors God with their lips, for that does not mean that their hearts are truly close to God. Or to build on that for a second church, simply because someone brings an offering to God, for that does not mean either that their hearts are truly worshiping God. And I say that because, as we see in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, who were both sons of Adam and Eve, on one occasion both brought offerings to the Lord. For Cain, he brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, whereas Abel, he brought the firstborn of his flock. And as we go on to see, church, the Lord, he had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And the issue here, church, was not that God really liked meat and didn't really like that of the fruit of the ground, but instead the issue here, church, was that whereas Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, or the best of his flock, thus displaying that he came to God in faith, Hebrews chapter 11, and with a heart that was truly devoted to God. Cain, on the other hand, he brought not the first fruits of the ground or the best fruits of the ground, but instead merely brought just the fruit of the ground. And thus was not worshiping God here with a heart that was truly devoted to him, which is why God then had no regard for his offering. Now, more practically speaking, church, as J.C. Ryle wrote, for one can certainly today bow their head, bend their knees, display a grave face, a rigid posture, and give the ritual response of the formal amen and still not be a spiritual worshiper because the eye of the Lord looks further and deeper than this. For God requires the worship of the heart. Give me your heart, he says, my son. Thus, we must not be content, Christian, to merely take our bodies to church and to leave our hearts at home. For you see, brother Christian, sister Christian, by grace alone, God has given to each and every one of us a new heart. For he has removed our heart of stone and has given to us, Christian, a heart of a flesh, a heart that now beats for him, submits to him, desires him, and that absolutely loves him. Therefore, let us never be willing, church, to simply go through the motions on a Sunday morning during that of corporate worship, but instead let us always be willing to worship our God on the Lord's day in faith and to do it, church, with all of our hearts. Because if we are coming to corporate worship, Brother Chris, 
Christian, Sister Christian, each and every week with empty hearts, disinterested minds, just going through the motions and hoping to check this church thing off of our list as quickly as we can, all so we can just get out of here and get to the truly important things in our lives, then lovingly let me remind you, Christian, that our corporate worship together, where we meet with one another, sing with one another, encourage one another, pray with one another, and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with one another, it is the important thing, Christian, that we must, must, must prioritize in our very lives. Therefore, never be content, Christian, to just go through the motions, to hold back your best, and to honor God only with your lips, but instead come into his presence corporately, Christian, with a mind that is devoted to him, with a spirit that is in all of him, and with a heart that is excited to worship him, since he is the God church who has rescued us, redeemed us, saved us, and to given us a new heart also that we can truly worship him. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body truly do commit ourselves to worshiping you, God, with all of our hearts, and that we do not fall into the trap of just showing up on Sunday mornings and going through the motions all while leaving our hearts at home and not coming into your presence, Father, with a heart of praise. And thus, if we have fallen into that trap, Lord, of coming to you without our first fruits and of thinking that we can honor you just with our lips or by just throwing some money in the plate, singing a few empty songs, and shouting amen every once in a while, Lord, forgive us. Because you have called us, Father, to love you and to worship you with our whole heart and with a willing mind. Therefore, Father, give us the grace we need each and every Lord's Day to worship you in spirit and in truth as we sing, as we pray, and as we shout amen with a new heart and with a heart that is devoted, God, only to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, take away this worldly posture or position that we are here as consumers this morning. Father, forgive us. And Lord, I ask that as the children of God, the body of Jesus Christ comes together, that we all willingly and wholeheartedly partake in this service as brothers and sisters in Christ together as we hear each other sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, oh, that it, let it encourage us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we hear the word of God read and preached. Lord, let us encourage us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as we hear, come to the table together knowing that we are no longer enemies of the Most High God, but we are now children at his table and we look across and see our brothers and sisters in Christ taking it together, Lord, let it be an encouragement to us. Father, help us, I pray, to not seek to give our hearts to anyone else, to prioritize your day and our worship of you above all else, and to glorify you, Father, with all of our heart. Father, do this wonderful request, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
as we 